You've tuned in to Naturopathic Earth Radio and Holistic Health News, where you get the latest on medical cover-ups, government malfeasance, toxins being put in our food and home, as well as sound, clean eating principles. We are here to cast a light on what the big sick care industry and its government shills don't want you to know. Don't be a slave to Big Pharma. Break free of the shackles of big food and start your journey now on a long, purposeful life. Become a citizen of Naturopathic Earth. Here's your host, A. Gregory Luna. Hello, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna. Of course, you can call me Gregory. Welcome back to another episode of Holistic Health News. I hope you're doing well today. Before I begin talking about millennials and how they're getting off the sauce, the website, of course, is Naturopathic Earth. Go check out the numerous articles, recipes, essential recipes that we have on the site. We have over 400 of them. So go check them out. There's some great ones. I recently wrote a recipe for a chocolate cacao smoothie. It's very clean, very healthy, lots of prebiotic and probiotic food in it. It's a great treat. So go check that out. Also, of course, we just released an episode on some of the dangers of pot smoking. Got some interesting feedback on that from Facebook. You know, there's two camps, and really, when I say there's two camps, there's really one camp, <laughs> which is the the pro marijuana uh, contingent, so to speak. And look, I, I, it's not that I'm totally against marijuana. What what the the point of the episode was that a lot of the benefits that we can glean from uh, smoking marijuana we can get from CBD oils, and that was just bringing my point. But you know, the people people have confirmation bias. People want to hear what they want to hear, and when something is brought to their attention, as I mentioned in the episode, that they don't want to hear, they get kind of upset. By the way, go check out the articles over there, and of course, go check out all the episodes that we have on Confessions of an Obese Child, Katie's Essential Oil Apothecary, and of course, HHN. As always, please donate money to our Patreon account. Donate anywhere from a dollar to five dollars to twenty dollars a month. We appreciate that. Click on the episode notes and follow the links to our Patreon account. It's patreon.com forward slash naturopathic earth. You can also buy Confessions of an Obese Child, my memoir ebook for $2.99 on Amazon Kindle and Barnes and Noble Nook. It's a great read, if I may say so myself. As always, we love Amazon. We buy stuff that we really don't need. Go to our website, Naturopathic Earth, first and click on the Amazon pictures that you find in all the recipes. And then you get to Amazon and anything you buy within 24 hours, we get a small commission at no expense to you. And of course, I'm a holistic, paleo-inspired health coach. If you're in the need to clean up your diet or your life, contact me. As most of you know, I've kept off over 100 pounds for 28 years coming up in May, so I kind of know what I'm doing. Not perfect in my eating, but... I'm a natural-born teacher, given that I'm a teacher, and I can help you and teach you how to clean up your diet. All right, let's talk about the drinking and the lack of it, apparently, amongst the millennials. All right, we have a lot of articles and holistic health news episodes on alcohol. We have ones on alcohol mixed with Xanax being a major killer. We have one on how Lancet released a study that no amount of alcohol is good for you. We have an episode on resveratrol, the, the enzyme that's found in red wine, how in fact it does not increase your chances of longevity. 
and that alcohol overall is pretty awful. Uh, so we don't like alcohol. Now look, my father was an alcoholic. Some would say that I have a sensitivity to alcohol, and maybe I do. But look, uh, drinking it sparingly, being abstemious on occasion is is good in that if you drink it on occasion. Uh, but I think in America we have a problem with drinking, and uh, I think it helps us cope and numb pain that we don't want to deal with. So ideally, do I think binge drinking is good for us? Absolutely not. You see it with Generation Z. You certainly saw it with my generation 20 years ago, and you see it with the millennials in college, and I don't think it's a good idea. So it, it was it was a nice respite and some solace I got from seeing this article about how the millennials are drinking less. Now, that does not necessarily mean that they're healthier, but we're going to be gleaning from an article from The Atlantic, and the article is titled, Millennials are Sick of Drinking. On January 20th, 2017, Cassie Shoon rolled into work with a hangover. It was the morning of Donald Trump's presidential inauguration. Our here already comes the leftist bent, and Shoon, who doesn't count herself among the president's fan, had gone out for drinks the friends with friends the night before to take her mind off of it. The evening's distractions left her in pretty rough shape the next day. Quote, I was in this meeting feeling absolutely miserable, and I was like, you know, this is not what grown-ups do, she says. Since then, Shun, who is 37 and lives in Denver, has cut way back on alcohol. Quote, drinking has to be more of an occasion for me now, like someone's birthdays or a girl's night. So it's once every couple of weeks instead of a weekly occurrence. Close quote. Drinking less wasn't always simple for her. Denver is a young town with a vibrant brewery and bar scene, and Shun's circle circle, social circle has long centered itself on meeting up for drinks. Whose social circle does not? But I, I guess if you're, uh, you know, living in the county that Footloose takes place in, maybe not. But avoid booze. But avoiding booze has been worth it. It's quote. It started to realize there's no reason I can't see these people and go to museums and go out for waffles or something. Close quote says Shun. So true, right? We have this idea that we got to booze it up every time we leave the house. It's absolutely not true. I mean, to be honest, I haven't had alcohol in, I don't know, a month, right? In the past few weeks, I've heard that more than, this is the author, that more than 100 Americans in their 20s and 30s have begun to make similar changes in their drinking habits or are contemplating ways to drink less. They have good company. Public health efforts have helped drive down adolescent drinking rates, and American beverage manufacturers are beginning to hedge their bets on alcohol's future. Yeah, just just switch over to energy drinks because that's where the big growth is in coffee. Go back to that episode we did on the the energy drink issues that we're having. It's about twenty episodes back. Media too has noticed that the change is afoot. Recent months have seen a flurry of trend stories about millennials, currently about twenty-two to thirty-eight, getting sober. But sobriety, a term that generally refers to the total abstention practiced by people in recovery from substance abuse problems, doesn't quite tell the story. What some have been quick to characterize as an interest in being sober might actually be more like a search for moderation in a culture that has long treated alcohol as a dichotomy. Either you drink whenever the opportunity presents itself or you don't drink at all. Right? To find a middle ground is difficult. Many millennials, and especially the urban college-educated consumers prized by marketers, at 18 to 34 demo, might just be tired of drinking so much. There isn't any great statistical evidence that young adults have altered their drinking habits on a grand scale. Changes in habit often lag behind changes in attitude. And national survey data on drinking habits reflect only on small declines in heavy alcohol use. For men that's drinking five alcoholic beverages in a short period of time, five or more times in a month, 
for women, it's four drinks under the same condition. I will say that if you look at alcohol dependence, and we cover we cover this stat in all the episodes that we have on on drinking, and I'll I'll put them all in the in the episode notes. It's ten drinks a week for women. If you drink more than ten drinks or more, you're alcohol dependent, which is their euphemistic way of saying that you have a drinking problem. Now you could be a functional alcohol dependent, but you are alcohol dependent. And for men, it's 14 drinks. Now, getting to 10 drinks and 14 drinks is not that hard. If you're one of those who has a drink a night to kind of just lay off the anxiety and to relax when you get home, that's already seven drinks, right? And then you're only three drinks. You go out once or twice and more than that, boom, you're alcohol dependent. Now you got the crutch. From 2015 through 2017, the most recent year for which data are available, the rate of millennials who reported that they had consumed any amount of alcohol in the preceding month remained pretty steady at more than 60%. But there are limitations to these data that would make it difficult to capture the types of changes that people describe to me. Someone who has cut back from regularly having two or three glasses of wine with dinner to only having a glass once a week, for example, would still fall into the same statistical category. Alleting shifts that may make a huge difference on a personal level. And a desire to drink less doesn't mean that people no longer enjoy drinking. Instead, it might be that alcohol-centric socializing has crept into more parts of people's lives and stuck around longer than previous generations had to contend with. For young Americans, drinking is very social. Quote, I drank pretty regularly in my 20s, especially in social situations. Close quote, says Leanne Vanderbilt, who lives in San Francisco. Quote, it wasn't until I hit my 30s that I realized that alcohol was no longer my friend, period, close quote. It was probably because she was ca- it was causing her to age and she had hit the wall. I mean, I know so many colleagues, you can tell, you can look at them, they're like 36 and it's like, man, they've hit the wall bad and you can tell they partied it big time in college. So yeah, drinking too much, it's going to age you ladies, you're going to hit the wall quicker. And you man, you get the beer gut and the uh, kind of the face bloat that DiCaprio has and Matthew Perry had back on Friends when he was doing drugs and, uh, and uh, alcohol. A few decades ago, marriage and children might have moved urban, college-educated young adults away from the social drinking naturally, but fewer millennials are taking part in the traditional family building, and the ones doing it are waiting longer than their parents did. Yeah, if the men are smart, they wouldn't get married at all, because there's nothing beneficial that comes from men marrying at all. So it's good that you see people waiting, or people not doing it at all. Now, it's not good for the women, but it's good for the men. Now, the structure of social life isn't that different for many people in their mid-30s than it was in their early 20s, which provides plenty of time for drinking on dates and with friends for them to get a little tired of it. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're if you're waiting to get married longer, you're probably dating, you're on Tinder and Bumble longer, and you're going on those dates, and you women get all those free food and free drinks from the, the guys who take you on pay for your meals and you have that expectation that they should pay for. And so you're drinking on all those dates. And then you go out with your friends and you're drinking. And guys and girls are drinking when they get home. It's a lot of alcohol. So maybe maybe there's some epiphany coming for these millennials. For a generation that's also behind its forebears in terms of wealth accumulation, whether or not it's a good idea to buy a bunch of beers or several cocktails that are $13 each three nights a week can come down to practical concerns. Alex Belfiore, a 30-year-old IT professional in Pittsburgh, decided recently to stop keeping beer in the house quote i've already calculated how much i'm saving by not drinking i'm thinking about where i can put that money now close quote that's true nina servant a 24 year old brand manager living in brooklyn is similarly over it quote drinking just feels boring and needlessly expensive 
I just started a medication that should have been mixed with alcohol, and I'm relieved that I have an easy out. That's probably the benzos. It's probably Xanax or Ativan. It's good that she's not drinking it, but we'll see how long that lasts. Because remember, if you're on Xanax, Ativan, Clonopin, Roofies, <laughs> don't mix it with alcohol. It will kill you. Brian Stark and addiction. Well, let's go. Let's go back to the the, the money. Yeah. Alcohol is expensive, right? Go get a cocktail. It's ten dollars. You're gonna go get two or three. That's thirty. You might buy some for your friends. Ends up being more expensive than the food. And look, alcohol, from a nutritional point of view, is crap. It has almost all calories, especially if you're getting mixed drinks. A lot of syrups that they put in there. Think of margaritas and pina coladas and all the girl drinks. It's just a bunch of crap. It's just a bunch of crap. So certainly, you save money when you don't buy alcohol. It's a total sham. That's why every time you go to a restaurant, they're like, oh, you want to start out with a, an alcoholic drink? Da, da, da. You know, it's that idea, that's the, the idea of suggestion, right? They're trying to put it in your head. And you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I will. Mm-hmm. Britta Stark, an addictions therapist and the program director of the Alcohol and Substance Abuse Center at the University of North Carolina, sees a similar malaise in those seeking guidance from her practice. Quote, there does come a time when there has to be some introspection. She says, folks in the millennial generation have maybe a better sense of balance. Some do yoga or meditation or are physically active, so they don't need to find stimulation or stress reduction in substances. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's stress reduction and just numbing some pain. You know, they haven't done the deep work, right? That mirrors the generation's general interest in maintaining its health. And for those questioning their habits, realizing that a healthier relationship with alcohol doesn't require most people to give up drinking might ease their social concerns. Stark, still, has noticed some worrying attitudinal trends toward alcohol among her younger patients. Millennials who haven't developed their generation's signature coping skills often use alcohol heavily. Stark sees an alarming number of people under 35 with advanced liver disease or alcohol hepatitis. Get some cirrhosis going. As attitudes may be moderating for many young adults, plenty of others are struggling. Nearly 90,000 people still die from alcohol-related causes in America every year, and that number hasn't started to meaningfully improve. Now, we know alcohol, ethanol, is directly linked to cancer. The more alcohol you drink, it increases all your types of cancer, increasing all types of cancer for you. Uh, we know it's bad for your heart. We know that it's, of course, bad for your liver. Uh, you typically gain weight. Um, of course, it affects your cognition. And so it's not good to drink a lot of it. Now, over here in South Texas, um, I mean, it's, cirrhosis is a major problem. You see these, these, these especially the, the poor people over here, and especially in the Hispanic community, uh, they start drinking heavily, binge drinking 15, 16 years old, and they binge drink for 20 years, and they end up getting cirrhosis by 36. And uh, they're not going to get a liver from a liver transplant because no hospital is going to give them that when they're an alcoholic, and then they end up dying at 43. It's pretty common. It's pretty common. My dad who was a functional alcoholic, he uh, he died at 73, but he had an aneurysm, but no doubt it was exacerbated by the excessive drinking. Moreover, drinking doesn't exist in a substance use vacuum. All the other things millennials are well known for ingesting play, play a role in shifting popularity. Quote, it still seems like this is a generation of self-medicating, but they're using things differently, says Stark. And the normalization and ever more common legalization of cannabis has a big part in that, really. Smoking pot and drinking alcohol? No. Really. Among the people I spoke with in detail, several mentioned replacing their evening wine with an evening bowl. Oh. Quote, I smoke weed to unwind, thank you, California, says Vanderbilt. She lives in San Francisco. 
for her, cannabis lacks the lingering effects that drove her away from alcohol. I wonder if she's having psychotic breaks, though. Quote, I can wake up in the morning feeling ready for the day. Close quote. She's not alone in making the switch. A 2017 study found that in counties with legalized medical marijuana, alcohol sales dropped more than 12% when compared with similar counties without weed. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. Recreational legalization has the potential to bolster that effect by making cannabis products even more broadly accessible. I mean, I, I mean, sure, it could lower alcohol, but I think people are just going to do both, right? Like I said, you're going to do both. When you want to go out and relax and have fun, most people will smoke pot and drink alcohol, especially even in states that it's still illegal like Texas. They'll smoke pot, drink some alcohol, maybe vape up a little. Millennials have also shown what Stark says is a worrisome interest in other drugs, the abuse of which may be diverting some of their attention from alcohol. She sees many patients looking for help with opioids, as well as benzodiazepines such as Xanax. Just because young people want to drink less often doesn't necessarily mean they're better off. Suicide rates are up among young adults, and prescription drug abuse is a problem the country is only beginning to address. So look, there's a, there's a lot we can say in this section. We know that we are way over-medicated. Of course, as you guys know, I just did an episode on how we're over-medicating our kids. And in general, you know, it's a pop-a-pill mentality. We go to our family doctor, a gynecologist, and um, you know, we say we're depressed, we're anxious, but we may write us a script, and then sometimes we can't get off them because the side effects are so bad and uh, the withdrawal effects are so bad. So these people are taking the benzos and they're taking antidepressants and or they might recreationally be taking ADD, ADHD drugs. And uh, of course, they're mixing it with alcohol as well. So this is this is not a good combination. Now, they mentioned that suicide rates were up, but still only a small percentage of suicides are done by young people. They've, we've done a holistic health news episode on how the majority of suicides are adult men, typically middle aged men, typically men who've been divorced, rape or they've lost their job. Uh, because men are defined by their work largely, and so this is the major epidemic. Now, that's not to you know kind of be flippant about the suicides of young adults. That's not a good thing, and I'm I'm assuming that a lot of these suicides of these young adults are probably males. But we don't like to see this. Uh, you know, you think of all these celebrities that have died. Think of Heath Ledger. Uh, think of Corey Monteith from Glee. You know, they're 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 boozing it up and they're they're taking prescription drugs. And all that's a lethal combination. So certainly we don't want to see that at all. But definitely the millennials are taking these drugs recreationally. And you can, you, even in high school, my, you know, a lot of my students know where to get uh, Xanax and, and, and Vicodin and all these things. And certainly in college, I mean, they're going to be inundated and solicited all the time because that's just the kind of the, the culture at most universities. The beverage industry does seem to see the writing on the wall. Over the past decade, a tide of artisanal alcoholic businesses met the swelling millennial market for booze-based socializing, including innumerable microbreweries and distilleries, as well as high-end cocktail bars and wine shops targeting a younger clientele. That's true. When I was in college, we didn't have any of these breweries. Now there's, they're, they're everywhere, and they're hip and happening. Now, a 2018 Nielsen data show that sales growth across alcohol categories is slowing. Bon Appetit, which is a magazine, estimates that the market for low or no alcoholic beverages could grow by almost a third in just the next three years. Maybe some of that is kombucha. We got an episode on kombucha. The spaces in which alcohol is consumed will have to change to meet shifting consumer demands. It's become noticeably easier in recent years to find alcohol-free cocktails in urban bars across America. 
In New York City, a few young entrepreneurs are opening new kinds of spaces to serve the tastes of their peers. Listen Bar, a clubby pop-up that gives patrons a chance to party without alcohol, is crowdfunding to lease its first permanent location. Wow. I mean, I think that's great. I think anytime people are drinking less alcohol, we can certainly uh, take pride in that. I wonder if they're like uh, shooting up cocaine in the bathrooms. But cocaine really isn't as big with this generation. For now, many young adults seem relieved that the pressure they have internalized to drink is easing and more options are opening up, <laughs> such as recreational drugs and pot. Drinking spot in people's lives doesn't have to be all or nothing as American culture has long regarded it. Quote, for many people, when they're honest with their friends about wanting to skip out on drinks, their friends are like, oh my God, I was thinking about that too. Says University of North Carolina student Stark, who we mentioned earlier, quote, I don't know too many people who have gotten a negative response, close quote. I guess they haven't been to fraternities and sorority parties. Delia has also noticed a mix of excitement and relief among her bar's prospective patrons. Quote, an Instagram account put up a picture of the bar, and a lot of the comments were just people tagging their friends. She owns one of those non-alcoholic bars. All right, that's the end of the article. Let's finish up. Okay, so I would say that article from The Atlantic is, is largely fluff. Not a lot of substance there, but it does allow me to comment because I like to comment on things. Alcohol is a major scourge on this country. Uh, am, am I advocating the prohibition of it like we did about uh, 90 years ago? Not really because it's ineffective. Um, I would say that I think the bigger question is, is that we need to introspect and do the deep work and figure out why we need to turn to these uh, substances to to self-medicate to numb the pain uh, what are we hiding from now a lot of people have a, have abuse issues sexual physical abuse a lot of them are suffering from maybe attachment issues or anxiety maybe there was divorce in their family maybe they saw some trauma there's always something there because there are people who function without alcohol look at look at Mormons for example they have they're prohibited some da- Baptists are prohibitive and then there's just regular secular people who don't drink at all and they somehow function just just fine uh, without having alcohol in their life and if anything their life is better because alcohol like with any new addiction you take on or any new thing is it's like a monkey on your back and it just creates more problems so yeah we do want to minimize the amount of alcohol that we're drinking and I'm not going to say minimize it to the way I drink it but maybe the way I drink it is the best way I have a glass of wine uh, only when I go out with a lady friend or with friends, and this might be, and not every time I go out with them, but this might be maybe two drinks a month, maybe, maybe two drinks every six weeks. I don't drink that often. It's always just one glass of whatever, normally wine, because I like wine. Uh, and that's it, just to get that nice feeling, and that's it, I stop. Now, the question is, why am I not drinking more while others drink more? I don't know, maybe I've done the deep work, you know, maybe the Confessions of an Obese Child podcast has helped me work through a lot of the, the trauma that I experienced when I was a child, and maybe other people haven't done it. I, I don't know what it is, but definitely we have a self-medication problem in America. I don't think that is disputable. I think it's a serious problem, whether it be uh, with smoking, with smoking pot, with recreational drugs, with meth, with cocaine, with TV, with our phones, with gaming. I mean... We just, you know, addictive shopping, that episode that we did on that. 
I mean, there's just so many things that we we do, and I think uh, this isn't good. You know, we need to confront our issues so we can have a healthier attitude when it comes to alcohol. Now, I think it's great that the millennials, if this you know this anecdotal evidence that this author presented. If they're drinking less, I think that's great. Of course it's great. Uh, if they're weaning off of alcohol and drinking a slightly less, but they're taking on Xanax addiction with all its hideous withdrawal problems and its its habit-forming issues, I probably would prefer they just go back to alcohol. Uh, so you see the millennials where they just tend to experiment more. So I think, unfortunately, they're, they're going to be addled with, with more issues in addition to just uh, seeing uh, the effect of divorce on their parents and not really engaging in relationships. And the millennials are much more into the hookup culture than, let's say, my generation was. I don't know about Generation Z, but they're probably going to go the way of the millennials in terms of, of the hookup culture. And we know the studies are very clear. The more sexual partners that a woman has, she has a higher rate of depression and anxiety and, in fact, suicide. Not so much for men because we're wired to just, I suppose, spread our seed, but certainly with women. So the hookup culture, the tender culture, the uh, the the slut shaming kind of culture has not been beneficial to women at all. Women should be sleeping with as little partners as possible, and you know, sure, men should as well. So my final part, parting thought, guys, is is before you drink alcohol, before the idea of drinking alcohol comes into your head, whether it be Bud Light or, or you're drinking absinthe or some crazy 19th century drink, just kind of you know step back and 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 kind of examine why am I doing this. Where is this coming from? Why do I feel the need to do this? Can I drink something else or can I eat something else? Can I hang out with my friends and not drink alcohol? Maybe go have a nice turmeric tea. Why do I feel the need to drink? What purpose is it serving? Can I go out without alcohol for a little while? You know, step back and examine these 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 ideas before you indulge and imbibe in the drink. Uh, because alcohol, guys, despite what the media tells you and what the Hollywood culture wants to tell you, is not good for you if you're over uh, imbibing it in general, over over drinking or, or drinking in general. We want to drink with moderation, and certainly we want to stay under the number for alcohol dependence. Again, that's 10 drinks a week for women and 14 drinks or less for men. And as I mentioned, that Lancet study, no amount of alcohol that we drink is actually good for us. Okay, so it might bring moderate effects to health, heart health in the form of resveratrol, but it negatively affects every other organ. So it would behoove us to not drink at all. But if you're going to drink, drink sparingly. And if you feel the impulse to always drink and you're impelled to drink alcohol, step back and try to examine your feelings. Introspection, retrospection, journaling, this stuff is crucial to self-actualization and optimizing your health and your future. So step back and examine why am I doing this. Guys, as always, hit the subscribe button. It takes you two seconds. It really helps my rankings. And as always, post a review for Confessions of an Obese Child. Go check out those, those episodes. Katie's Essential Oil Apothecary. And of course, the flagship Holistic Health News. Take care, guys. Until next time. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to NPE Radio and Holistic Health News. Visit our website at naturopathicearth.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Holistic News Now and at our Facebook page at Naturopathic Earth. Please consider a donation at patreon.com slash naturopathic earth. Buy the Confessions of an Obese Child ebook on Amazon or Barnes & Noble Nook. Consider subscribing to our podcast. And as always, please post an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this. And remember, the core belief at NPE. Let food be thy medicine. Let nature be thy healer. Until next time. Music courtesy of Nine Inch Nails. <laughs>